I trust that's your prayer this morning. We thank God that he is ever faithful and true to us, but I pray that that be the prayer of our hearts this morning, that we would be faithful and true to him. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning in our text. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, would you? 1 Peter chapter 2 in our Bibles this morning. We're going to be continuing our Hope in the Midst of Suffering series out of 1 Peter. I've enjoyed it. hope that you have as well. And we've arrived at a central point in this small epistle. It's not very long. It's only five chapters long. We're making our way through it. We've come to this central part of this um, legal letter or this official letter from Peter to these suffering believers. And the theme of this center section of First Peter is submission. You say, wow, that just makes me excited. The very word submission just makes us all excited, doesn't it? Um, but he's going to talk about some very, very practical things. And we're going to take the time to look at them over the next few weeks. He's going to talk to us about um, applying the theme of submission to uh, civil authority, to government. He's going to talk about that. He's going to talk about submitting to an empl- uh, from an employee to an employer. He's going to talk about that relationship. Uh, he's going to talk about submission within the marriage, within a marriage relationship between a husband and a wife. Um, he's going to get very practical. He's going to talk about these sort of things. He's going to talk about submitting to one another. Um, within a a local assembly of believers or the family of God. And so I want us to learn these things. I think God wants us to learn these things. You know, I find it interesting, and I I was marveling at it this week, especially yesterday as I was studying this passage, that, that the Holy Spirit, as he's addressing these believers who are suffering so much, rejection at the hands of their society, their very lives being taken away, their homes, all of these sorts of things going on. And the Holy Spirit, knowing exactly what they needed, he begins to talk to them about submitting to the authority of God in their lives. And specifically, as God works through governments and husbands, um, churches, um, all of these different things. I don't know about you, but Last year and even this year, many of us probably at times didn't agree with every decision that our governmental authority was making or those in authority were making. How did you handle that? And we're going to look at some of these things from the word of God. I believe God has something for us and I believe it will be a blessing to us. Let's look at our text. First Peter chapter two, beginning in verse number 11. And before I read, I want to say this before we're ever going to submit externally to to earthly authority, though it be from God, though it's what God has ordained for us, before we will ever submit to earthly authority, it is absolutely necessary that you and I be willing to submit to God's authority inside. I'll say that again. We will never submit externally where we will not submit to him internally. Okay, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Look at it in our text, verse 11 and verse 12, and then we'll pray. He says in verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, behold, 
glorify God in the day of visitation. Uh, Peter says this, if you'll submit to the Lord inside, you'll abstain from fleshly lust, even the world in which you live, who hates you and speaks against you evilly. And that's what they were doing against these believers. When the spirit of God moves in their heart and he convicts them of their sin, those people of this world who are unsaved will remember your testimony and they will believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of their souls. It's been said that the most effective tool of evangelism we possess is the power of a righteous life. The most powerful tool of evangelism that you and I possess is the power of a righteous life. It is a powerful testimony. It is a powerful witness that you and I have experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our lives because we're submitting to him because we love him. Let's pray together and then we'll, look, we'll jump into this topic. Father, I pray this morning, speak to us by your word. Lord, every one of us, where we are, we struggle with submitting. We struggle with submitting to the authorities that you brought into our lives, whether they be in a workplace or in our homes. Uh, children struggle to submit to parents and wives struggle to submit to their husbands and husbands struggle to submit to you. Father, we all struggle with this. Our flesh is um, against it. We, it resents it. We don't want authority making decisions for us. We want to make our own decisions. Um, Father, help us, I pray, over these next few weeks. I pray that we would be encouraged and edified. I pray that we'd grow. Give us opportunities to Im, uh, implement the truths that we're going to be seeing. And Father, I pray for me personally, Lord, that I would submit to you that I would follow you, that I would recognize your authority, that I would obey the authorities that you've placed over me. Father, may this be true in our church, and I ask these things uh, for your glory and in Christ's name. Amen. So submission is not a popular topic, is it? I don't, I'm actually wondering right now how many people are going to come back next week or for the next few weeks. It's not something we want to hear. It's not something we want to talk about. It's not a popular topic in our day of lawlessness and in our quest for personal fulfillment and self-exaltation and self-gratification, submitting to the laws of God, to submitting to his leading, the Lord Jesus Christ inside of us. Our flesh is uh, predisposed to rebelling against the Lord Jesus Christ who lives within us by his spirit. But submission is extremely important. In fact, God himself instructs us to submit, and not only to submit to him who is righteous, but also to our human leadership or the authority that he's placed in our lives. Now, submission does not mean slavery. Submission does not mean domination. It simply means that we recognize God's authority in our lives. Do you, do you recognize God's authority in your life? I pondered that even this morning. Do I recognize his authority in my life? I think all of us, or many of us would, but it's the humans that really trip us up, it seems, or at least we tell ourselves that. It's really the humans, normally other humans, not ourselves. And I suppose the question should be asked, are we willing to submit to the structure that God has ordained? The people that he raises into power and authority. I'm talking about government. Are we willing 
to recognize that God moves and he places and he displaces. It was God who established these institutions that I mentioned. And if you read on ahead and even in chapter two, you can see it in the text. In verse 13, he says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Why? Beginning of verse 13, he says, for the Lord's sake. Some of us right now are struggling. You're not sure where I'm going. But we ought to know where God is going. We ought to know and we ought to be reminded what God is doing. He talks about it later on and he talks about the, the, the wife's response to her husband at the beginning of chapter 3. That's not politically correct in any way. It's not popular. He talks about church members with one another and how we're to interact with one another and how we're to love one another and let nothing be done through strife or vain glory and not with guile or dishonesty. So he's going to talk about government and marriage and the church. And God has the authority to tell us how these institutions are to be run. It goes our, against our nature to submit. We don't want other people making decisions that impact our lives. We want to be the ones, right, who exercise authority over our own lives and make our own decisions. I have to say, as I think about submitting to God's will for me, and I think about the struggle it is for me at times to submit to his leading, to submit to his will and his word as he has written it and given it to me and his Holy Spirit leads me in my life and my own flesh and your own flesh either. Now, our flesh never wants to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ within us. And sometimes I marvel at the rebellion of my own flesh. And then I think of how I try to teach my children to submit to their authority. And I, they can, they've heard me say many times, honor your mother. Honor your mother. Obey her immediately with the right attitude. And you might have said some things like that to your children. But as I speak to my children, try to exhort them to submit to the, the God-given authority that God has placed in their lives. And they didn't get to choose me as their father. They didn't get to choose Cindy as their mother. God ordained that for them. As I encourage them to submit to the authority God has brought into their lives, I find myself pondering how I struggle so much in my own life to submit to the Lord. And if my children are going to grow up and learn to submit to the Lord, they have to be able to see me in my life, their father, submitting to the Lord. So before we can exercise authority, and that's what we want, that's what we crave, that's what our flesh desires. In fact, that's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Before we can exercise authority, we must submit to God's authority and God's design. You and I will never have more authority than when we submit to God's authority. We crave, we want to make the decision. We want to point out what is wrong. But you and I will never have more authority than when we submit to God's authority. You remember when Satan tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden, what was he offering her? He was offering her freedom without anybody over top of her, without any authority. Hey, it doesn't matter what God says. It matters what you want. It matters what you think. But in their effort, in Adam and Eve's effort to enjoy freedom without authority, they actually lost both their freedom, and their authority. The prodigal son found his liberty not by running away from his father, 
But when he submitted to his father's will, when he returned, that's when he found liberty. You remember that. He, he left. He, he took everything that his father gave him. He ran away to a far country, squandered it all. All he wanted was to be away from his father, to make his own decisions, to live life the way he thought he should be able to live life. And when he did that, he lost everything. And again, this is counterintuitive. Our flesh tells us the absolute opposite of what I'm speaking to you in the The word of God is going to reveal and unveil to us over the next few weeks. There are several motives in this portion of 1 Peter for submitting to God. You saw it in verse 12. In verse 12, you see one of the reasons or the motivations we have for submitting to God-given authorities for the sake of the lost. Look at verse number 12, and we'll get to this in our text this morning. In verse number 12, he says, Whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they... May by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. One of the reasons why we ought to submit to God-given authority is so that the lost will see Christ in us. You remember Jesus Christ submitting to authority? You remember who was all involved in that? They were wicked men. You remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, what's he praying Father, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He allowed himself to suffer terribly. And, of course, you and I are saved because of that. He honored his authority. I also see in verse 13, another reason in our text that we'll not get to today is to submit ourselves to every ordinance of man, he says, for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. In verses 18 down through verse 25, The reason for submitting to God given authority is for our own sakes. He says it's for your own sakes that I'm telling you to do this. Now, before we get to look at what it look or get to what it looks like to submit on the outside, and we will get there over the next few weeks to government and employers and husbands, it's necessary for us to submit to the Lord on the inside. And we will never submit to God given authority on the outside as long as we are unwilling to submit to the leading of the Spirit of God on the inside. Never. Our testimony for Christ on the outside is dependent upon our submission to Christ on the inside. Now, many of us in this room, we would say uh, we, we have a burden for souls. We want people to be saved. Again, I say to you that the most effective tool of evangelism we possess is the power of a righteous life. And it is impossible to live a righteous life that is pleasing to God and honoring to Him while we will not submit to the leading of the Spirit of God or the Word of God as he brings it to our hearts. The idea, the very idea, the notion that we can somehow portray Christ or present Christ to a lost and dying world while we in ourselves are resisting his leading and disobeying his Spirit within us, that is impossible. It's impossible. Our testimony for Christ on the outside is dependent upon our submission to Christ on the inside. So what are these marks of submission to Christ on the inside that can lead us to having a powerful and effective testimony for Christ on the outside? Because that's what I want, and that's what God wants for us. And I think there are three marks in the passage. I'll draw your attention to them this this morning. First of all, I notice the first mark is that We are to understand that we are strangers in this world. The first mark of someone who is submitting to Christ on the inside is to understand that we are strangers in this world. 
Well, that's an interesting way to put it. Look at verse number 11, the beginning part. He says this, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Now, what is Peter talking about here? Peter, he's passionately, he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech thee. So he's passionately pleading with these people who are beloved of God to follow the spirit of God and submit to the leading of God. And this is the beginning of all he's going to talk about, about submission. He says, I want you to reciprocate God's love for you. You know that God loves you. He loves us like no one else has ever loved us. His love is faithful. His love is true. Unwavering. Isn't that wonderful? Our love is you know, can take some, there's some bumps in the road with our love. But God's love is faithful and true. And the Holy Spirit identifies us in the text, in the beginning of verse 11, as strangers and as pilgrims, strangers. A very interesting word in the Greek language. It means having a home near. He, He says, you're strangers, you have a home near, but this isn't your home. Uh, It has the idea of a a, a person who's dwelling by. In other words, we're people who live, we as believers are people who live alongside the people who belong. But we don't belong. And and, and a person who's submitting to the Spirit of God on the inside understands this. We have to understand this. This world is not our home. Now, we happen to be living near those who are at home in this world, but we don't belong here. Years ago, when uh, Cindy and I were traveling in evangelism, we would go to different states, and we had uh, an F-350. It was a dually, and it was white, and had four doors, and it was a pretty sweet truck, diesel. And we pulled a fifth-wheel travel trailer with it. It was 38 feet long. We were all from nose to tail. We were 54 feet long. I think we weighed about 16,500 pounds. I hated going down steep uh, declines. That was worse than going up steep inclines. But uh, we would travel. We'd go to different churches, and I would preach and hold evangelistic meetings and revival meetings at those churches. And sometimes we'd be in that, at that church in that town for about a week. And uh, we'd pull in, maybe never having been there before, and I'd pull into the church parking lot and Cindy would stay in the truck with the children because that's what moms love to do, stay in the truck with children who've been traveling for hours. And I would go meet the pastor, you know, and we would talk. And sometimes the the conversation, you remember this here, the conversation would go longer and she'd be like, let's get this thing moving. You know, can't stay too much longer in the truck with these children. But anyway, uh, we would back uh, that trailer into a spot and I'd give it all, get it all leveled off, you know, and Pennsylvania is really hilly. And so sometimes I had to get out all these different blocks and get that trailer level and put the slide outs out. And, and that's where would be our home for the week. Sometimes we'd park up along somebody's house or sometimes against the church building or something like that. But it was never our home. It was just we were just passing through. It wasn't our home. I mean, the trailer was home, but that area wasn't our home. That town wasn't our home. That church wasn't our home. But those for those people, it was their home. That's where they live, but that's not where we live. We were just strangers. We were just passing through. And that's where the Lord Jesus Christ, by his spirit, is talking to these believers who are suffering. And they can't seem to find anybody there who cares for them. They can't seem to find anybody there who loves them. Who, In fact, they're calling them evildoers. They're wanting them out of their lives altogether. 
And uh, Jesus says to them by his word, you need to remember, if you're going to submit to the leading of the Spirit of God on the inside, you're going to have to understand that this world is not your home, that you're a stranger, you're just passing through. You're just having a home near, near those who live here. You see, we're not, we're not citizens. The word ultimately came to mean a person who is a foreigner in a land that is not his own. Do you ever feel like that in this life? you ever feel like a foreigner in a land that is not your own? Because that's what we ought to feel like. There ought to be a bit of an ache. There ought to be a bit of a, 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 a longing for heaven. You see, we don't belong in this society. We're foreigners. We're outsiders. He also uses the word pilgrims here. What's a pilgrim? A pilgrim is someone who's making a brief stay, a sojourner who's, who's passing through, but he's on his way to another destination. This is not our destination. And that ought to rejoice our hearts because it's going to get a whole lot better. This is not all there is. And it's not that we disdain people who are citizens of this world. No, we love them because the Lord Jesus Christ loves them and God loves them. We reach out to them. We befriend them. We give the gospel to them. We love them. But we know that this world is not our home. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 14, the Bible says this, For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, the latter part says, Our conversation or our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember the chorus maybe you sang as a child growing up? This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I think 2020 kind of uprooted some of us a little bit. 2021 has been different, but not all that different. And we've been uprooted a little bit. And I want you to know, I don't like the feeling of being uprooted. Do you? I don't like that feeling. I want to put down roots that are deep. You know, it's interesting. The word rapture has the idea of to catch up by the roots. Why are God's people so rooted? Why are we so rooted? I think it's natural. It's the natural inclination for you and for me. But, but here we see in this passage, just as we're getting started, that a mark of someone who's submitting to Christ on the inside is that they understand, they acknowledge, they agree with God that they are that we're only strangers in this world. Peter was reminding these suffering believers and us that we are not of this world. Why? What are some of the things that are different between those who are part of the family of God, those who are indwelt by the Spirit of Christ, and those who are of this world? Well, I think that our love is different. We have a different love. We love different things. We love Him. We love the Lord. And, and the citizens of this world do not love the Lord. I, I wrote down that we val our values are different. What, what we value is different. Our morals are different. Why? Because our Father, our Father is God. And we are led of His Spirit. And we love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I had to ask myself the question this week, am I trying to be like this world? Should we try to be like this world? Are, do we have an inclination within us to be like this world? What do you think? Yes or no? 
We do. Every one of us have a strong inclination to be like this world. Every one of us have a strong inclination to put down roots. We want this world to accept us and to agree with us. We don't want to be refused. We don't want to be rejected. Every single one of us in our flesh wants to be like this world. We ought not try to blend in, though, because a person who is who is marked by submitting to God on the inside understands that we are strangers in this world and we're just passing through. Romans 12 and verse one, uh, Paul wrote, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then he says this and be not conformed to this what? world. Don't be conformed to this world. Now, I want you to think about your life this morning. And I want you to think about this idea of submitting to the Lord on the inside. This is very personal. This is between you and God. Are you submitting to God on the inside? For some of us, that may be in the area of music, maybe in the area of our thoughts. It may be in the area of our temper. Maybe we're not we don't have good temper. Maybe it's in the area of our worry. Maybe it's in the area of of other lusts of some kind, fear. Are we submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ on the inside? And it's amazing to me how the Holy Spirit, through Peter, goes right to the heart of the matter with these believers. Their lives are coming apart, and I can only imagine the fear and the anxiety that they were dealing with. And you know what the Lord did? He goes right to the heart of the matter, and he says to them, you need to submit to me on the inside. And and it begins by understanding, you know, you're mourning over this world. You're mourning about losing your lives in this world, and those are mournful things. Those are real things. But he says, you know what? You need to understand and remember that you are strangers and pilgrims in this world. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. So understand, number one, that this world is not your home. Number two, the second mark of submitting to Christ on the inside is that we abstain from fleshly lust. Abstain from fleshly lust. The mark of submitting to Christ on the inside is abstaining from fleshly lust. Look at verse 11 again and look at the middle part. And he's going to build on this. He says, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Now, this is something these believers were struggling with. They're hurting. They're grieving. They feel forsaken. He says, this world's not your home. But more than that, as long as you're on this earth, on this planet, in this world, this ungodly world, you have a a personal responsibility to abstain from fleshly lusts. Now, this is a private battle that each one of us face, but it has public results. And he's going to get to that. He's going to tell us, hey, if you live this way, at the end of verse 12, they're going to see your good works. They're going to see the working of God in your life. And when God visits them by his spirit and the gospel comes to them, they're going to remember you. 
They're going to remember your life, your beautiful life that stood out in stark contrast to everything else in this world. And they are going to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of their souls. But it starts here. A private battle, a war, a private battle that has external results. I don't know how long ago it's been, but some years ago it finally dawned on me. As much as I love when the church comes together and we sing the hymns and everybody, of course, takes their seats and everybody looks so fine, you know, it's Sunday. And it finally dawned on me there's a war going on in every single person in this room. And sometimes we look out and we say, you know what, we need to have some ministry. We need to get out there. And, and it finally dawned on me, look at look at this. People are on the verge. People are on the precipice. People are hanging on, they feel, by a thread. People are being tempted. Some are giving in. The devil is actively working. He's attacking. He's manipulating. He's lying. He's deceiving. And it doesn't matter if a person is young, a young child, or if a person is old and has been saved for 60 years, there is a spiritual battle that's taking place, and that's what Peter's talking about in this passage. And if we're going to have an impact on this world, we need to have an inward and private discipline. Now, how would you describe your inward and private discipline? I'm talking about this spiritual battle. I'm talking about abstaining from fleshly lusts. And you don't have to say it out loud. I wouldn't recommend that. But just between you and the Lord in your heart, how are you doing when it comes to that inward battle that you face? You know, it's interesting. We all struggle with fleshly lust, every single one of us. But for some of us, our fleshly lusts are uniquely different. In other words, there are things that Pastor Tolman will struggle with in his flesh that I will not struggle with nearly as much. And there are things that I will struggle with in my flesh that may uh, seem to overwhelm me that are not even on his radar, didn't bother him at all. Every single one of us have fleshly lust. How, how are you doing in the spiritual battle that you're in when it comes to the specific fleshly lusts that you face? How's your discipline? There's another word that we don't like talking about. Submission and discipline. I just want to eat whatever I want. I just want to eat whatever I feel like. You know, this late earlier this week, I asked Cindy, do we have any vanilla ice cream? She said, it's in the fridge, it's in the freezer. And I know when it's in that particular freezer, it's just perfect. I mean, it's not hard. It's not like you need a, a chisel to get it out. It just rolls off the scoop, you know, and in it goes. And and I have a I have developed a... Uh, a pattern or a habit, uh, and when I put the last scoop in that cup that is the biggest cup that we have in the house, I then take one more little scoop and eat it off of the, you know, Tori's come down. after This all happens after the kids go to bed. Tori's come down a couple of times, and she said, I can't wait to grow up, Dad. <laughs> it's great. And then, again, this is more of a tropical twist. This is not chocolate. I know some of you are diehard chocolate people. But then, 
in goes the, the juice and it's pineapple and orange and it goes in and I have to cover it to a certain point because I know if I cover it just right and my density is just right, then when it's all done, after I hand churn this, and I actually use one of those spoons that has the grates in between, you know, so it gets a nice churning in there. And when it's all done, I pull it up and it's like hanging off of that spoon. I put that in my mouth and I'm going to stop talking about this because it's good. Then, I, then we have these straws that are just perfect and those go in and I take it in and it is the tallest cup in our house and it's wonderful. And so what I'm talking about is discipline. <laughs> right? Or a lack of discipline. I did so well. I lost five pounds. And then I thought to myself the other night before I said that to Cindy, I thought about that and I thought, I don't know. I don't know if she bought me that. And then I thought, you know what? I lost five pounds. So I have room. <laughs> this is a lack of discipline. Okay? And fleshly lusts. And the thing is, not all of them are funny, though, are they? You know, even food taken to an extreme can be absolutely destructive. But we all face these fleshly lusts. And he says here, abstain from fleshly lusts. Maybe your fleshly lust is watching, going on binge watches of uh, Little House on the Prairie. You know, you just can't stop yourself. We all could use a little bit of exercise. And what I'm talking about is this. We, we and this is my exhortation to us this week, say no for once. Say no. Say no. How many times do we face fleshly lust and we don't say no? We say I lost five pounds. I've got room. Say no. I'm talking about self-discipline. We live in a culture that is not disciplined. If it feels good, do it. If you feel like it, do it. If you want it, have it. That's the culture in which we live. And that is what we face. And we have these fleshly lusts. Now, this is a very extremely simple and it's a very straightforward admonition in the passage, right? Abstain. Abstain. It means stay away from, keep your distance from it, uh, to hold oneself off, refrain from it. It's a very straightforward uh, admonition, but it is not at all easy. And every one of us face it. What are fleshly lusts? Well, fleshly lusts are simply the desires of our fallen nature. That's what they are. It's not necessarily that they're sexual in nature, but they can be. It can be for food, an excessive amount of food. It can be for sexual things. It can be fear. We give ourselves into fear and anxiety. We allow ourselves to go down a path and we're in turmoil. It could be a critical spirit. You know, all these sorts of things. And I'm telling you as your pastor, I face fleshly lusts every day. And it is a battle. And you're not alone in the battle. You face fleshly lusts every day. It, fleshly lusts are simply the desires of our fallen nature, and they're persistent, and they're powerful cravings of our depraved flesh. Uh, you're close by. Let's go over to 1 Peter chapter 2. First, or excuse me, 1 John chapter 2. Close by. Turn to the right. I have four or five pages over. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. 
1 John 2, verse 15. I'll read down through verse 17. He says this, love not the world. That's the world's system. It's our society. It's a world that's dominated by fleshly lust. It is absolutely geared for fleshly lust. He says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If we're going to love the world, we're, we're not going to have the Father's love dominating, moving, guiding us in our lives. Verse 16, he says, for all that is in the world. And what's in the world? He says, all. The Spirit of God says, all that is in the world. What's in it? The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. The pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So our fleshly lusts are not of the Father, but they are of the world. They're very worldly. Verse 17, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You can turn back in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. What are our fleshly lusts? Over in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19, he gives a whole list. And it's pretty gruesome, but it's not exhaustive. There are more than the list that he gives. I'll read it to you. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. He says, now the works of the flesh are manifest. They're obvious, which are these. Adultery, that sex with somebody who's not your spouse. Fornication. Fornication is sex before marriage or uh, could be homosexuality and things like that. Uncleanness. That's filthiness of heart and mind. That person sees the dirt in everything. Lasciviousness. That's an immoral appetite that knows no boundaries, no shame. Idolatry. Anything that we put before God. Witchcraft. That word, the Greek word is pharmakia. It's a reference to the occult. And in those days uh, that where this was written, they would actually have different types of narcotics on hand to get the people who came to worship high to enhance their experience. Hatred is another one of these works of the flesh. That's hostility towards one another. Variance, that's causing strife and contention. Emulations, that's bitter envy and jealousy. Wrath. What's wrath? It's anger that's boiling over. Strife, that's just bickering in a nasty spirit. Seditions, that's causing dissension and division. Envyings, heresies. He talks about heresies that's being opinionated and stubborn. Envyings mean, is, is strong desires for what somebody else has. Murder, we know what that is. Drunkenness, that's being intoxicated. Revelings, that's wild carousing and partying. And then he says this, and such like, such the like, there, there's a whole long list that's, we're not going to put it all down. There's more than that. Now, I dare say that every single one of those that I just read, they're listed for us in Galatians chapter five are found in this, could be found in this congregation in our, in our flesh. Our flesh is wicked. You say, pastor, if I'm saved, why do I struggle so much with wicked thoughts? That's a good question. Why do I struggle so much with wicked temper? Pastor, I'm saved. I've trusted Christ as my personal Savior. Why, why do I struggle sometimes with speech that is so hateful or covetousness? And the Bible tells us that when a person believes upon Jesus Christ, that person, right, is born again. 
They're made alive. We've been washed. There's this newness of life. Our souls are saved. The Bible tells us we have a new heart. So why do we still sin? And the answer to that is this, because all of that, the salvation of God, is imprisoned within our godless, wicked flesh. Think about that. Can you imagine being in prison? Locked up, you can't get out. Christ actually lives inside of us. And the residence in which he lives is our godless, wicked flesh. And there's a battle between the two. Between the Holy Spirit of God and our godless, wicked flesh. You say, that's tough. Pastor, that's a lot to take in. You see, it's hard to say no to fleshly lust, especially if we're in the habit of saying yes. And by the way, and that's why at some point you and I have to say no. I'm not going to open the gate of fleshly lust again. Now, we know that I'm not preaching against sinless perfection for the rest of our lives, and I don't expect that from you. But it's some, somewhere along the line, we need to say no. Not today. Not this morning. I'm not going to let this conversation go that way. I am not going there. I'm not going to let my thoughts go there anymore. I can sense it. It's happening. It's the way my flesh is. It's who God saved me from. And he wants me to be like Christ and think on things that are right and pure. And I know in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And my thoughts are starting to go the wrong way. Starting to go the critical path or the, the path of unforgiveness. And you know what? Not today. Not now. Lord, I'm going to think things that are pure and right and godly. And I'm not going to go down that path. We live in a society that's designed to appeal to our fleshly lust. We're continually bombarded with images and expressions and attire and music that appeals to our fleshly lust. And that's true for men and women, and that's true for young and old, and it's true for our children. Every single one of us have these fleshly lusts. I think some of us are under the impression that if we put our children in Christian school, that will protect them from fleshly lusts. Or maybe homeschool them. Or maybe we don't have a TV in our home. Maybe we don't let video games in our home. Or uh, maybe we don't go to that place. And, you know, if, if we could just separate ourselves from the world entirely, then we'll, we won't have to deal with fleshly lust. Is that true? It's not true. Now, I believe there's some wisdom in having some standards in our lives to protect us. I believe it's a parent's responsibility to protect their children and make wise decisions to help protect their children. These are good things. But you know what? We can set up the highest walls we want around our families. You can throw your television out and never watch TV again. You can never watch another movie. You can never play another video game for some here who like to do that. And you will still struggle with fleshly lust. You see, our own hearts are wicked. Jeremiah talks about that. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. I love my children dearly, but every one of them have a heart like that. Their, their, their flesh is wicked. It's depraved, completely depraved. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 18, Paul wrote this. He said, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Now think about that. The apostle Paul, filled with the spirit of God, under the inspiration of God, he pens down the words. Can you imagine that? Being very transparent. 
but led of the Spirit. He says, I know that in me, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. That's true for a man who is filled with the Spirit of God. That's true for you. And it's true for me. Fleshly lusts are the strong cravings of our fallen flesh. Our fleshly lusts are in opposition to desiring the sincere milk of the word that Peter talked about back in verse 2 in chapter 2. That we would grow thereby. Um, fleshly lusts, our fleshly lusts are in, incompatible with us offering up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God by Christ. He talked about that in verses 4 and 5. Now think about this. On the one hand, we are called upon to drink of the pure milk of the word in order to grow. And we're, we're commanded to offer up sacrifices that are acceptable to God. And on the other hand, we're continually connected to our very own wicked, perverse flesh. And each of us has to choose, as he wrote to them then, and he speaks to us now, abstain from fleshly lust. Abstain. Separate yourself from it. Say no to it. Why? Look at verse 11. The latter part, he says this, which war against the soul. Which war against the soul. Our own fleshly lust wars against our souls. Now the word which, and that would be a simple word, right? We don't want to think too much about that, but it says the word which means which by its very nature. Fleshly lusts, our fleshly lusts, by their very nature, war against the soul. The soul is not a, our souls are not a compartment in our body. Our souls is the, my soul is the totality of who I am. Your soul is the totality of who you are. And the Spirit of God is telling these believers who were suffering so much, and he's telling you and me this morning that we need to abstain from fleshly lust because our own fleshly lust, when we say yes to the lust of the flesh, it actually is a war. It is a war that is taking place against ourselves. Some of us this last year and into this year, we came to the realization this world is not our home. We came to the realization that we're not appreciated maybe as much as we thought we were, or maybe not as liked as much as we thought we were. And that was hard for us to accept, but I want you to know the war is not just from the world or the society that we live in against us. There is a war that rages in every single one of us, and it is the war between good and evil, between Christ and us, and our flesh, our fallen nature. James 4 said this in verse 1, he said, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts, that war... In your members, and that word war is this continual, malicious aggression, continual, unceasing. This word war, it is a military term. We're not talking about a skirmish. We're not talking about Will and I getting out our plastic swords at home and going at it until he whacks my fingers. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a full-out conflict, a war continually being fought. This is a serious matter. James is saying we're in a serious war. Our lust battling against our own souls. Lust conceiving its fantasies in our minds. Drawing them into our minds and leading us into sin. Some of us are under the impression, you know, the devil made me do that. The devil made me think that. It's our own fleshly lusts. He doesn't have to be in, in the state. 
And, and we need to understand this. We don't need to blame Him at all. It's, our, it's my own fleshly lust. It's my own wickedness. We're in spiritual warfare. And so let's not give in to our fleshly lusts that are literally destroying who God has saved us to be. You see, a mark of someone who's submitting to Christ on the inside is that they say no to fleshly lusts. And I want to challenge you this week. I want you to look for opportunities to say no. And you can ask me next week, Pastor, did you use the biggest cup in the house? Will you do that? Will you say no? When your mind starts to go down this path of worry and fret or anger and bitterness? Will you do that when you're tempted to, on your phone or maybe on the computer, go to a site you know you ought not be at? Will you say no? Let's say no. Let's say yes to Christ. Galatians 5 says, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You see, the battle is won and lost on the inside when we say no or yes to our fleshly lust. I think it was John Bunyan who wrote a book. I can't remember the name of it, but in that book, he has a city or a town that has walls, and, it's, and the name of the town is Mansoul, which is the soul of man. And in his city, or that on that wall, there were multiple gates. I don't remember how many but really it could have been illustrated with only one gate. And the name of the gate was fleshly lust. Shut the gate. Because the only way you and I lose is when we open the gate. The only way you and I sin is when we give in to fleshly lust. And, the, and Peter is writing to these believers. He's saying, abstain. Don't give in. Don't give in. You see, these believers, it wasn't just... It just wasn't persecution from the outside. It just wasn't hatred from the outside that they were facing. It just wasn't opposition from the outside, from their society or from the world outside of them. It was on the inside of them. Sometimes we look around and we can see the enemy here and there all around us. But you know what? It's on the inside. But you also have the Lord Jesus Christ on the inside. And he's doing battle and he's leading you and he's leading me and he is he is uh, convicting you and me. He's saying, this is the way. Walk ye in. And I want you to know that don't leave here this morning thinking, you know what? All is lost. I've got this godless, wicked flesh and it's it's ravaged me all my life. And, you know, this is just who I am and this is just what I do. And. I'm on, I feel like I'm being dragged along through life and there's no stopping it. I want you to know if, you, if Christ is your Savior, there is hope. He lives in you. You have life. And I'm saying, let's shut the gate. Look at verse 12. It's longer, but it's simpler. He says, a mark of submitting to Christ on the inside is living a life of goodness. That is beautiful to see. My words. Living a life of goodness that is beautiful to see. That's the final mark of someone who's submitting to Christ on the inside. Look at verse 12. He says this, having your conversation, that's the way you live your life, honest. Now, honest. Talus, I believe, is the Greek word. Every, time, every once in a while you run into a Greek word that ha- it needs like eight English words to help us get the idea. Because it's so rich and full of meaning. And that word, where translated honest in our Bibles, has the idea of beautiful. Beautiful. 
It's beautiful to see. He says, live in such a way that the way you live your lives are beautiful among the Gentiles, among the people, the citizens of this world, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, evildoers, that is like the ultimate of evil. When they were calling these, these Christians evildoers, it was like these believers are so, they are the problem and they ought to be put to death for being the problem. That's how much the world hated these believers. He says, whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, that they shall see, they will glorify God in the day of visitation. What does he mean by that? The day of visitation, the day that the Spirit of God maybe through someone sharing the gospel or a message being preached, or maybe someone's all alone remembering the truth of the word of God. That's the day of visitation when God, by his spirit, brings the gospel of salvation to a man's heart. And Peter writes to these believers and he says, you know what? They hate you right now. They do. They speak of you as evildoers. They think you are the problem. You are the ones holding the world back. But know this, while they may hate you now, If you will live a life that is beautiful for them to see, which is based upon you and I submitting to Christ on the inside, an inward battle that has external results, Peter says this, they will see your good works. And on that day of visitation, they will remember your good works. And you know what? They will believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of their souls. And I say again to you and to me this morning, the greatest weapon that you and I have for giving the gospel is a pure life on the outside. That pure life on the outside started submitting to Christ on the inside. And I'm telling you this as your pastor this morning. I'm committed. I'm committing myself before you to abstain from fleshly lust. And I'm recommitting in my heart, you know what? I'm going to say no. I'm going to take a stand. I am not going to give in. I'm going to I'm going to say yes to the Spirit of God in my life. And I'm asking some of you this morning to say the same thing. I'm asking you this morning to say, you know what? This week I've been looking past it for too long. I've been looking, I've been overlooking it for too long, but today, this week, I'm going to say no. And if I fall, so be it. I will confess it and I will get up and I will say no again. And I will shut that gate. And I'm going to say yes to the Spirit of God. That is when the world sees Christ. With all your heads bowed and